Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by the legendary Sergio Tacchini, the brand worn by John McEnroe, Vitas Gerolitis, Novak Djokovic, and Gabriella Sabatini. Check them out at SergioTacchini.com. Use the code SHAP30 in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Excuse my lisp, I have had oral surgery, but as we know, good players play hurt. And I am here to deliver this show. Today's guest was born in 1986 in Kiev, Ukraine. It once resided in Kharkiv, Ukraine. He got to 31 in the world, won four ATP titles. And in 2013, beat Roger Federer at Wimbledon. He announced his retirement after this year's Australian Open and has traded his racket for a machine gun as he has returned to Ukraine to fight for his besieged nation. Sergei Stakovsky, on the ground in Kiev, Ukraine, is today's guest. Hello, Sergei. Hey. How are you? Hey, how are you? You okay? So far, so good. Man, we don't know each other. I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. Uh, thank you for coming on. No worries. Where are you? In Kiev. Where are you exactly? You're in Kiev at your friends still? City center. It's not a friend's house. It's it's more of a, a base, I would call it. What was your day like today? Um, one, two, three shifts. Just get off the last one. Three military shifts. Yeah. Plus some, some trips out into the city. We'll just and to get some gear gear up a little bit night vision scope are the, did, did you see Russian troops today they're not in the city so you can't really see them yet they're not in the city they cannot enter the city they're on the outskirts on the suburbs only for our listeners gentlemen you hear former world number 31 in 2013 he beat Roger Federer at Wimbledon and he has traded in his tennis rackets for a machine gun. Uh, he is on the ground in Kiev. That's Sergei Stakovsky. As I said, uh, I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. What prompted you to essentially come to Kiev? Well, essentially, I have my parents here. I have my brother, my father here. Plus, um, Putin wants to erase Ukraine from the history books uh, in general. He said that Ukraine never existed, that uh, Lenin created Ukraine in the beginning of the Soviet era. So it's a, it's a tough choice. Is that what it is that Putin wants to put the Soviet Union back together? Yeah, but with a different light. And well, he said many times that it was the biggest disaster of the 20th century that the Soviet Union fall apart. Multiple times he said that. So I guess so. What is the mood like amongst you and your fellow troops currently? High spirits, all of them. Uh, we, the nation is united by the common enemy. Everybody's willing to stand their ground. They don't have much more way to go. Uh, nobody's wanting the Russian uh, misery and destruction dictatorship in, in Ukraine. So it's everybody's willing to fight. Where are you sleeping? Where are you eating? Are things are things getting more and more tense each day? 
No, it's not getting much. It's pretty much routine, day in, day out. Um, I just you don't know when eventually the strike's going to start, when when they will try to attack. But again, um, they've been trying to enter the city for days now, and they're not able to because the morale is not high because they, you know, they're fighting the fight which nobody believes that they can win on the ground. The Russian troops are demoralized. They're not. They're not in. They're not in tune. No, of course not. But they have the uh, the regiments which are motivated and professional, like you know the uh, the Wagner Group, the Chechens. Uh, they are well trained and they, but they are they're clean killers. So they're not really military, uh, and they came to you know destroy and kill. So that's basically the two. I would say last. Apart from the special operation forces, that's the only two uh, regiments which are active and they're willing to do something. But again, you know, uh, it's only combined, I would say, maybe 10, maybe 12,000 troops. Where the, the whole of Ukraine is much bigger than that. You cannot cover even Kiev with, with that arm. Have you been in touch with uh, any of the other athletes like Lomachenko, uh, Yusik, or Klitschko's? I've seen Klitschko a couple of times where we are. They were spending the night with us. Um, uh, Lomachenko, not really, because they have a particular stance that they are <clears throat> defending their house and their families. Uh, nothing beyond that. Oh, is that right? The fighter Vasily Lomachenko is just is just defending his home? <laughs> well, that's what Usyk said, that he's there to protect his home and, and, and his family. And that he's going to shoot on everybody who is going to attack him and his family. Nothing beyond that. So, I don't know. I didn't talk to them, so that's for them to comment. I guess um, there are there are a lot of there are a lot of sorry there are a lot of sports people who are you know active. Uh, the, our biathlon team, uh, all of them are in the army. Uh, Stas Haruna, who is the world champion in karate, he's in Lviv. Uh, he's in the army. So, you know, there's a lot of people who who are fighting this fight. We just lost today uh, one of the actors. Yeah. You know, we see you on social media. You were in Dubai a couple weeks ago. How did your life turn upside down? Well, Russia did turn it upside down. I mean, Russia invaded Ukraine and didn't give much of a choice. Of course, I could have stayed out. I could have stayed home and uh, with the kids and, and you know, uh, look from, from the outside on everything that's going on. But again, I had my family here. That's my city. I was born in Kiev. I, uh, I am from Ukraine, my grandparents and grand-grandparents are buried in the, in the land of Ukraine. And I would very much like to have the history to come back to. And if everybody would leave, then there would be no history because nobody would be able to protect. Of course, we have our armed forces, which we are superbly grateful in their work and how they are operating and with the high professionalism and heroism in the same time. But they need also help. And when we help them, we also need help from the world. What do you think of... The, the leadership of uh, Vladimir Zelensky? I think it's remarkable. I think it's inspiring. Uh, what does he do? Uh, I think it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, I would say as long as he's willing to stay and protect and fight for, for his views, that's, uh, that's a remarkable, I think, honestly. Do you have a feel for the, the sanctions? Do you have a feel for what's happening in Russia? Are, are there any conversations you're hearing that are interesting? 
the the, the sanctions they really work uh, they hit them hard uh, you can see the companies leave you can see that there's the, the sank the the swift the bank system everything it works because they the russian will fail in terms of economical the problem is that russia has nuclear weapons and the Putin is willing to use it, or at least he says so. And there's, and he's not even being in danger for now. Nobody's attacking him. He's just that sanctions are purely economical. So it is, the world is united against Russia. They understand that the war needs to stop, <clears throat> which is right. Uh, but it doesn't stop just by saying it has to stop. Ukrainians are willing around, but they need help in terms of protection in each where we really need you need weapons. Weapons, yes, but we need somebody to close the sky above us. We need NATO and European Union, America. <clears throat> I don't care who will make that choice, but we need the sky above us protected. Zelensky has been asking for a no-fly zone uh, each and every day, all day. There's a great fear that that a no-fly zone being created will will exacerbate the war. Do you feel that the only chance the country has is for a no-fly zone to not be completely decimated? I would say it's essential. Um, we don't have enough ships, uh, and even if Europe is going to provide us with fighter jets, we don't have enough pilots to operate them. So we are not going to be superb in the sky, and that's a, that's that's a fact. So we need at least take that battle to the ground. And once it's on the ground, I'm very confident that Ukraine will will succeed. Unless, of course, they use, you know, uh, nukes or any of the weapons of mass destruction, which they are already using, like they did in Bilaterkva uh, and uh, I think Chernihiv. So it's, you know, they We've don't heard have... that Kharkiv is... It, yeah. Yeah. Kharkiv is sieged. Yes, they, they're using, they're shelling Kharkiv. <clears throat> I mean, there's no moral moral grounds for what the Russians are doing right now. They, they, they're shelling civilian uh, sectors uh, with no military infrastructure. They level the civilian buildings to the ground with the tanks deliberately. They don't allow the, the volunteers to pass to the siege areas where the residents have no water and no food. They're killing the, the, the volunteers. So it's, it's a nightmare what's going on. Novak Djokovic shot you a text uh, at some juncture yesterday. You you cut off the response. What did you tell him about what he could do to to help? Well, I thanked him. I actually need to see what I what I wrote to him, but I thank him for his support and, and his thoughts and prayers. And of course, we, we all 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 that I can ask for is just you know for for them to raise the awareness of that this needs to be stopped. That the war needs to be stopped. That's where it's a enough message in general are you okay with the response from the tennis community or do you feel like it should be more i feel that it is enough for me i have received hundreds of messages from my colleagues across the board i think that the tennis community did enough and they continue doing so uh, which is great i think that you know banning the russian flag and uh, the name of the country from the from the scoreboards uh, is uh, significant enough. Uh, kicking out uh, them from Davis Cup and Fed Cup is significant enough. Uh, taking away their uh, tournaments is significant enough. The 
the the tournament's been cancelled in Moscow and St. Petersburg. So it is enough. And, you know, it's... Uh, tennis is a bit... You know, if you want to take these drastic moves, and I, I do believe that these moves are very drastic, you have to, you know, really go case by case uh, in terms of sports, in terms of individuals, in terms of seeing whether these individuals were supporting and still continue to support Putin. In terms of Russia... Putin is taking big pride in sports and uh, and actually showcasing that the the, the sports as you know as the achievement of superiority of Russia. Now he's he has a problem because he cannot show and provide to the, his fellow countrymen that you know they are the best sporting nation in the world because they just they cannot compete anywhere. This is very important and essential uh, because you know tennis is an individual sport for a majority predominantly Russian players as any other of Eastern European players they receive achieve results not thankfully to the to the government but thanks to themselves and their families you know and that's the result which they carry uh, all of the next generation of, of Russians which is playing which is Rublev, Khachanov, uh, Medvedev they all live abroad they all grow up abroad so uh, it's not really uh, you know I'm pretty sure they even didn't vote so it's really hard to put even harder stance on them I think even what they're doing now, saying that there's no war like Rublev did multiple times. It's already a strong message because Russia denies that there's war. Russia saying that it's a special operation. Russia closed down all of the free flights, which were saying that, you know, it's a full-size war. Now, if you mention that in Russia, in any media that it's a war in Ukraine, you're looking up to 15 years in prison. Where are you getting your news? You're, you're, you have full internet, full electricity, you're wide open? So far, yes. Are you mentally ready for that to potentially change as this assault continues? Well, of course, at some point, you know, we're going to have to give away some of the comforts. Give away some of the comforts? Well, I mean, light, hot water. At, at some point, I mean, eventually, if they'll be keep advancing and they start shell Kiev, that's the most important part. If they're going to start bombard Kiev, I think that's the point of no return where we will all understand that Russia... You know, they don't want any negotiations. They just want they want to prove that they are strong enough. You won St. Petersburg. You've spent significant time around the world. How does this make you feel? Disastrous. Uh, never in my life I would expect anything else to happen. But that already started for us eight years ago. I would never expect Russia to seize Crimea and to disturb Luhansk and Donetsk in the first place. And they can say, well, we were not there. That was the local militia, whatever it is. I mean, at least now they, <coughs> they threw all the masks off and, and they already confirmed that it was them back then and it is them now. But, you know, you always, I was, when I was growing up, I was growing up in, in an atmosphere that, you know, Russia is a friend, that Russian language is a friend, that, you know, the people in Russia are friendlies, that they are neighbors, our blood brothers, whatever you call it. But the fact and the reality is completely different. Uh, and once the 14th happened and then you start to turn back the history pages and you look into the history and how it was everything evolving, you understand that Russia, pretty much all of their history, they were trying to dominate and, uh, and discriminate Ukraine. Uh, whether it was during the Tsar's era when they were trying to forbid Ukrainian language and burning the books in Ukrainian uh, and going to the decrees where the Tsar was forbidden, uh, was prohibiting Ukrainian language as a general, uh, all the way to Holodomor and to Holo, uh, that's uh, in the 31 slash 33, uh, 1931, 1933, around 8 million Ukrainians were starved with starvation. 
starved to death uh, thanks to Russia, and it was uh, targeted. It was targeted starvation in Ukraine. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all across the Soviet Union. So history is repeating itself in terms of uh, what it is happening to Ukraine and Russia. Uh, but the thing is that we're in the 21st century, and of course, it makes me feel terrible. I uh, would never expect anything like this to happen, uh, never in a million years, that we would have a crazy little dictator which trying to, how do you say, free Ukraine from the fascists. Well, it's pretty interesting to call Zelensky fascist. That's a very nice association, I would say. Bizarre. Have you been in touch with any Russian players? Uh, yep. Actually, the day just before the war was in Dubai, I was kidding. I visited that. The tournament. So I was talking to Rublev. Uh, uh, I was talking to Yuzhny. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was talking to them. They all, of course, none of them support this. Are they just appalled? All of them are, but we all have to understand that for them saying no to war is already risking something from their families because no war is a, already a stance which in Russia can get you you know, sentenced to the prison as it can have repercussions on their families and the close ones. So even saying no war by Rublev is a very dangerous thing for him. Why has Belarus uh, joined joined uh, Putin? That's just part That's of the way it is, huh? That's, I think, because Putin supported uh, Lukashenko when the outbursts of protests were in, in Minsk. And uh, that's exactly, I think, why this is happening. And of course, you know, Belarus has been already kicked out of the European Union, kicked out of the international communities, and they've been banned all over the place. So the only way they could turn is Russia. And they understand that in return of turning back to Russia, they have to do something for it. So both of these leaders, Lukashenko and, uh, and Putin, they're going to be, they're going to go to the international tribunal. They have to pay or at least uh, stay in prison for what they did. Have you received reports from around the around the country? Do you know what's happened in Kherson? Do you know what's happened in 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 the different in Odessa? Um, we we've just heard reports that uh, the Russian approach to Kiev is being is being held back. That the Ukraine army is fighting well. No, Ukraine army is fighting extremely well. Uh, the the convoys and, and the Russian army is standing on a suburbs in Kiev and they cannot move front. They would try, they would love to, but they cannot. They've been, I would say, uh, slightly kicked in the guts, uh, moved around and they, they cannot coordinate well because they have no space to maneuver. Uh, they bombarded last night. The last I remember is the Vinitsa airport is destroyed. Uh, Harrison is uh, destroyed, I think, airport. So Kharkiv has been under constant shelling. City center, doesn't matter where. They just shoot anything that they can fly into the city and they don't care where they're going to hit it. Whether it's going to be a hospital or a school or, or a residential building. These things, they just, you know, I, I'm in Kiev and we don't have a shelling uh, for the moment. I mean, we do have, but on a, you know, it's nothing massive. We just maybe one, two rockets fly in and and hit some, some targets. But Kharkiv is, 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 is a terrible thing. I mean, we're talking about the, about a, 
about a million and a half, two million people living harder for a normal day. And if there's even at least 800,000, 700,000 left, and they're just bombarding the hell out of I mean, who's going who's gonna to take responsibility of that? You know, I, I often say to people that don't know a lot about tennis, I say, man, you know, you don't, you don't understand how tough <laughs> these players are, what they have to go through to get to where they got to be, to be 200 in the world, to be 50 in the, whatever it is. But man, what you've done is, um, you know, it, 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 it transcends that. It's a remarkably brave thing. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me and telling the story. Can you, uh, is there any last, with anything you'd like to share with, uh, I've got a worldwide audience. I mean, if there's anything you want people to know, tell them now. I want them to help us to stop this mess. That's all I want. I want this one to be stopped. I want Russia to go back to Russia and, and leave us alone. I mean, we don't need their freedom. We don't need their liberation. We don't need their world in Ukraine. We just need them to go home. Hey, man, Godspeed. Please stay safe. And uh, as I said, uh, all of all of our thoughts and prayers are with you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Sergei Stikovsky. And my thoughts and prayers are with you and all the Ukrainian people. This war needs to stop immediately. As always, thank you to Sergio Tacchini. See them at SergioTacchini.com. Use my code, SHAP30, at checkout in all caps to receive 30% off of your order. Max Loeb edited the show. Our music is by Brian Senti. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.